So we're doing a three-week series on when faith grows cold. Last week, we looked at the heart issues. We looked at Psalm 42. This week, we'll look at hands or the living out, the practical implications and how we fail that. So another word for that is hypocrisy. And then next week, we'll look at head issues, the intellectual questions and doubts that challenge us and make our faith grow cold. So that's, that's our setup. That's what we're working toward. So let me tell you a story. It was the summer after my first year at Calvin. I had just ridden my bike home after my second job. You get it. And I walked into the kitchen to get a drink, and my mom was in the kitchen, and she looked at me and she said, get something to drink and then sit down because I need to talk to you. I thought, well, this is very strange because my mom does not say those things. Usually she just talks to me. She doesn't say, I need to talk to you. Just talks to me. So I thought, well, this is bad. Something's gone. I knew it wasn't me, but I didn't know who it was. So I got my drink and I sat down at the table and in a very even and measured voice, she said to me, Pastor Pete has had an affair and the church council has voted to let him go. And in that moment, there are about a million things that went through my head and I could give voice to none of them. I was literally speechless. I was struck dumb. Pastor Pete had been my pastor since I was in eighth grade, which means he walked me all the way through high school. He had taught me catechism. He'd gone on the youth mission trip with me. He'd been the pastor who heard my testimony before the elders and then walked me through the profession of faith liturgy in the worship service. As someone entering a sophomore year of college, imagining the pre-sem life, imagining seminary, imagining ministry, when I thought about being a pastor, it was Pastor Pete who I kind of imagined my life might be like. And now here I found out that this person that I looked up to, that I emulated, that I liked and enjoyed, that I had learned from, turned out to be somebody very different than the person I thought I knew. Have you been there? That level of betrayal, that feeling like you've been played, like how could I be so stupid? The word hypocrisy actually comes out of Greek theater. Some of you know this. Greek actors used to literally wear masks, and that's how you knew which character was which. And so hypocrite actually meant one who wears a mask, and it was the word for an actor. But it wasn't long before the literal meaning became much more metaphorical and used more freely to say this is somebody who's saying one thing and they're doing something very different. Hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is painful enough when it happens in our friendships or when it happens in our workplaces, but when it happens in the church, it just splits us wide open. 
And that's because we know how the church is supposed to be, right? We know how the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be full of people who love each other even when they don't like each other, who lay their lives down for each other, who are generous, who care for the poor. That's who the church is supposed to be. And pastors, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, youth pastors, they're supposed to be above reproach. They're supposed to be the people we look up to. They're supposed to be people who are filled with grace and truth together, who are honest, who are faithful, who are transparent. And it's not just the big things that kind of hit us. It's, it's not just when a pastor has an affair. It's also kind of those little things where we're like, this is inconsistent with the witness of the church. Like, uh, you go to somewhere for worship, and they spend a service, and they talk about God as creator and the beauty of creation, and then you go to their coffee hour, and they're using styrofoam cups, and, and there's no place for any recycling. It's like, how do these things go together? Or you hear a sermon about caring for the least of these, reaching out to the poor. And people are nodding along. Yeah, that's exactly what we need to do. That's who we need to be. And you go out and the whole parking lot is full of luxury cars. It's like, how do these things go together? Or maybe you see somebody standing right here in this space on Friday morning and they are all out singing loud And then on Saturday night, you see them in a very different state. Or imagine this. Let's say, hypothetically, there are two Christian colleges that are competing together in a sporting event. And for that sporting event, our campus safety has to hire extra security, just in case. What's that about? And hypocrisy just hits us because we think, come on. I'm working so hard here to do this Jesus thing, and I thought you were on the team. I thought you were with me. And when you go off and do this other thing where I see these deep inconsistencies as you as a church or in the Christian community, or in the Christians who live in the dorm with me, I think, come on. If the gospel is true, it's supposed to change people's lives, right? Well, if people's lives aren't being changed and aren't giving any sort of witness that the Spirit is alive and well and working in them, then is the gospel even true? And that's how it can make our faith grow cold. Because we think, look, I, I really want to be in on this. I really want to go all in. But I don't see anybody who's all in. And the people who are supposed to be all in have these big inconsistencies, and I don't know what to do with that, and it makes my head explode. Hypocrisy is an old problem. Jesus talked about it 
a lot. In fact, the first time he really talks about it is at the very end of his first big public speech, the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you who've grown up in church know that the Sermon on the Mount is three chapters in the book of Matthew where Jesus tells his followers, this is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to look different from everybody else. You're supposed to love your enemies and pray for them. Someone asks you to carry their pack a mile, you carry it too. Someone asks them for your cloak, you give them your coat as well. Don't get attached to money, so not worth it. Don't worry. Seek first the kingdom. That's the Sermon on the Mount. But even as Jesus is saying it, even as these words are going out, he can see in the crowd, he can see in the people that there are people who are leaning in, who are listening. And there are people who are like, eh. So he gets to the end. Turn with me to Matthew 7. Page 778, I believe. 788, page 788, Matthew 7. We'll begin to read at verse 15 and we'll read through verse 27. This is Jesus talking here. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of the Lord. Probably want to keep that open. So Jesus is right on the very end of giving all these life-changing, radical instructions, and as he gets to the end, he's like, heads up. There are going to be hypocrites out there. They're going to look like sheep. They're actually going to be wolves. Jesus is not surprised by this. He's not like, what? People are going to say one thing and do another? What? He totally knows this is going to happen. So he sets up his people, and he gives us three things we need to do 
to engage well with hypocrisy, to think about it and deal with it. The first thing he tells us to do is discern. We talk a lot about discerning at Calvin, right? You got to discern this. You got to discern your culture. You got to be a cultural discerner. Discern means you evaluate, right? You look at this thing, whatever it is, and you say, what's the good in this thing that I should bring into my life? And what's the bad in this thing that I should reject out of my life? How do I analyze that? How do I evaluate that? How do I assess that? That's discernment. So Jesus is saying when you're looking at people in your life, you got to pay attention. You have to study them. You have to see, and he gives us this clue. He says, look, good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees, bad fruit. Stick with the good trees. Like, okay. That seems a little vague. So thankfully, being later than the people who first heard this, we know that Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Galatians, he kind of expanded on this a bit. And he said, good fruit, fruit of the Spirit, it's this. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's good fruit. So Jesus is saying, when you're assessing the people in your life, you have to say, is this person I'm hanging out with more joyful this year than she was last year? Is this guy more gentle in 2017 than he was in 2016? Is this person growing in self-control? Do I see progress? Do I see this person becoming more and more like Jesus the longer I know them? That's what he means by discernment. And he makes it really clear here, right? He's like, hey, there are good trees and there are bad trees. Hang around with the good trees. But it's not always that easy. Sometimes we don't know who the good trees are. So here's another thing to think about. If you're hanging out with friends, and there's one friend that you hang out with that you're constantly making excuses for to your other friends, pay attention. If one friend comes to you and says, you know that, that comment that she made, that was really quite racist. And you say something like, oh, I could see how you feel that way, but you got to know her heart. And then someone else comes to you and they say, wow, you know what she said about that other person? I just, I thought that was really rude. And you say, well, you know, she hadn't gotten a lot of sleep. She wasn't feeling very well. You know, I heard her talking to her mom on the phone, and oh my goodness, I would never talk to my mom that way. Well, you know, they're not doing real well. If you find yourself in conversation talking about a friend, and you regularly have to go do this, like, well, you really don't understand that person. Maybe you're the one who doesn't understand that person. If you're constantly making excuses for somebody else's bad fruit, you have to discern how much longer am I going to have this person in my life? 
Is this somebody who is helping me become more like Jesus, or is this somebody who's actually not helping me become like Jesus? Discernment is hard work. And sometimes we're blinded by it because the person we're giving excuses for may be the person that we're dating or kind of invested in the relationship. And so maybe it would help if you asked someone who knows you really well and say, am I blind to some things in this relationship? The answer is always yes. <laughs> but specifically, what am I blind to? Are these, are these deal breakers? Are these bad fruit things? Like, am I just covering over stuff for my own enjoyment? Discernment. Jesus says, there are going to be people out there who come to you and they look one way and they are the other. You've got to pay attention. Beware, he says. Discern. The second thing he says is dig deep right here. Dig deep here. You see the heading before verse 21? Concerning self-deception, like it's going to be an essay. Like, concerning self-deception, self-deception is something. Yeah, no, he's like, hey, look, look, look. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Look, there are people who are going to be doing all these flashy things, casting out demons and prophesying and doing deeds of power, and they're going to come to me and be like, Lord, Lord. And I'm going to look at them and say, I don't even know who you are. Go away. Because it's very easy to deceive ourselves. So the same test we use to discern in other people's lives, we use for ourselves. Am I becoming more like Jesus every day? Am I more patient this year than I was last year? Am I more joyful? Do people like hanging out with me more because I'm just happier and peaceful and radiant and gentle? Then you have to take it another level and you have to ask yourself this question. Are there things that I let myself get away with that I wouldn't let other people get away with? You're in line at Meyer, it's the 12 items only line. Person ahead of you, 27 items. And you're standing there with your little basket and you're just like, the next week, you're in line again. In your basket, 16 items. You're like, it's only four over. You're in the right turn lane. It's a very big sign. Don't turn. Don't turn right on red. Don't do it. Don't think about it. Don't look down the road. No, look, eyes up. No, turn on red. Somebody else is in the car with you. Car ahead of you goes right on red. You blow a gasket. Did you see that? Did you see what that? Right on red. The sign says, don't turn right on red. Person went right on red. Appalling. Until <laughs> a week later, you're at that intersection. Nobody else in the car with you. It's kind of quiet. Are there things that you let yourself get away with that you don't let other people get away with? I'm perfectly fine if my socks are on the floor for a week, but if her socks are on the floor for a week, whoa. 
You know, I hate it when I can hear his music through his earbuds in the room. But I don't really care when my music's loud and he can hear it. Where are the inconsistencies? Where are those little hypocrisies? Where are the areas in your life where it's like, these are the special Mary rules, or put in your own name, (laughs) and these are the rules for everybody else. That's what Jesus is talking about here. If you've got your own little ship of rules, like this is my little world, I get to do whatever I want in this world, but y'all gotta do things right in that other world, you're a person who's going to be, Lord, Lord, look what I did in my little world. I cast out demons and I prophesied. He's going to be like, oh, for Pete's sake, go away. No, that's not what it's about. So if you really want to know, here's another thing to do is ask a friend who knows you well, where are my inconsistencies? Where do you see them? Where am I hypocritical? That's a really bold thing to ask. If someone asks you, say, I need to think about it, and I need to pray about it, because you do. It's not very cool if someone says, where are my inconsistencies? And you go, okay, well, (laughs) look, (laughs) all right, just, just, just be gentle, right? We're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, we're gonna be gentle. Say, oh, I really need to think about that. Now, you may have a list of 10 that pop up immediately. Just just give it a minute, okay? Just take a breath. But when Jesus is talking about the self-deception, the way the antidote to self-deception is to dig deep and to say, I am not going to let these little inconsistencies take me out of the kingdom. I'm not going to let these little inconsistencies Ruin my relationship with God. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to be ruthless about this. And repeatedly ruthless about this. Dig deep. The third thing is do. Do. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. So imagine it's your home, you're on the couch, mom and dad are cooking in the kitchen, you are engrossed in something on Netflix. Mom walks into the room and she says, uh, hey, would you set the table? And without moving your eyes from the screen, you say, uh-huh. Mom goes back, she's cooking. Dad's cooking, getting ready. You feel more, more footsteps. There are more people who are going over to the kitchen. Mom comes back. You're still like this. <laughs> she says, did you, did you hear what I said to you? And you say, yeah. It's not a good move. Not a good move. Bad choice. But in that moment, is your mother actually asking you, oh, honey, Are your ears not working? Do we need to get you to a doctor? Honey, look at me. Do you look when when I clap? Can you hear? No, that's not what she's asking. That's not what she's asking. She's saying, I've asked you to do something. You have heard it. Are you actually now going to do it? Because it's in the doing that you honor her. 
It's in the doing that you say, I respect you and I honor our relationship. And I'm going to do this thing that you asked me to do because Netflix can be paused, people. And your relationship with your mom is lifelong. When she's asking you, did you hear me? She's uncertain because you haven't done what she asked of you. That's why Jesus is here, Sermon on the Mount, and he says, did you hear me? A lot of people say, uh-huh. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. Remember that song from when you were a little kid and these are the motions? If you don't know it, I'll teach it to you after loft. He wants us built on the rock. When my mom told me that my pastor had had an affair, it shook my life. I kind of imagined that my life was pretty stable. And that incident just kind of shook everything. Like, who can be trusted? What are these grown-ups all about anyway? And I realized, as I took a hard look at myself and my own response to that situation, I realized that in some ways I had built my faith on Pastor Pete. And in some ways I had built my faith on the church. And I built my faith on the ideals of Christian community. And if our faith is built on those things, they are sand, and we will be shaken. So Jesus comes to us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, I don't want you to be shaken. There are going to be people out there. They're actually wolves. They look like sheep. They're going to mess with your life, and I don't want you to fall. There are going to be people out there who deceive you, and the enemy is going to work within you to try and deceive you from the inside out. And I don't want you to fall. I want you to be in the kingdom. I want you to be there with me. I want you to be part of the team. I want you to be wise and built on the rock. Jesus doesn't come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, I've said all this stuff. Who's actually going to do them because they're going to be my friends? He says, I want you to do this stuff because it's good for you. And you're going to be part of an amazing group of people who are all built on the rock, not on each other, not on the church, on the rock. Because that's the one thing that will last. I know in a group this size, we have people here who have been hurt by the church. I know in a group this size, you've got someone else has a story a lot like mine. I know in a group this size, we've got the children of pastors, and you have had a front row seat to what the church can do to its ministers. Don't build your house on those things. 
Build your house on Jesus. Build your house on the truth of his teaching. Build your house on his death and resurrection and ascension. Build your house on the promise that he is going to return and there will be a kingdom. And in that kingdom, righteous men and women will be in abundance because we will have built our lives on the rock. Jesus invites us to build our lives on the one thing that will hold. Build your life on him. Amen.